Well, two weeks ago, I talked about happiness, and I want to talk about happiness again. But this time, I want to talk about it a little differently. I want to talk about happiness and impermanence and how they're related. This doesn't maybe sound um, intuitive that they're related, but it does. It turns out that impermanence is a dharma gate through which we find happiness. There's a story about Suzuki Roshi, who came from Japan in the early 60s, and he was one of the first Zen teachers in the U.S., and he founded the, the Zen Center in San Francisco. And one day, uh, he'd been giving a talk, and he took questions, and one of the students uh, put up his hand and said, Look, I just don't get this. You know, it's all this stuff, all this stuff you talk about, I just don't get it, it's too much. Can you narrow down Buddhism to a single phrase? And Suzuki said, everything changes. Next question. <laughs> really, that is, it's kind of the heart of the practice, is that everything changes. Um, you're going to die. hope I'm not the first one to tell you that. <clears throat> but you're going to die. That's a hard truth. seems pretty far away from happiness. But it's the truth. We're going to die. Uh, the poet Marie Howe wrote a poem about this I want to share with you about this, this very moment when she figured this out. This poem's called The Last Time. The last time we had dinner together in a restaurant with white tablecloths, he leaned forward and took my two hands in his hands and said, I'm going to die soon. I want you to know that. And I said, I think I do know. And he said, what surprises me is that you don't. And I said, I do. And he said, what? And I said, know that you're going to die. And he said, no, I mean that you are. Yeah. So the truth of the matter is, not only are we going to die, but we are going to lose our teeth. Everything that we value about our body is going to sag and not work very well. We're going to break our hip. We're going to get cataracts. We're going to lose our hair. And beyond our own bodies, we're going to lose our friends, the people we love, our relatives. We're going to lose the ability to do the things we want to do. You name it, we're going to lose it. Pretty tough medicine to take, huh? You know, even though, even though you are the most brilliant, beautiful, exceptional person that was ever born, this applies to you. Even though. And don't we all think we are, really? <laughs> that we really are the most exceptional, and that somehow nature is going to make an exception for me. You know, I know all you little people 
that's going to happen too. But me? No. No. That's not going to happen to me. I uh, drove into Mount Vernon uh, the other day, and I went the, the back way to the old bridge across the river, and I saw a sign for impermanence. I loved it. It said, Bridge Will Close. <laughs> I think they intend to put like a time or something on there every once in a while, but it just says bridge will close. And I thought, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Impermanence right there. Thank you for advertising that for us. Mm. So as pervasive as the truth of impermanence is, we really resist it. We really, really resist it. Um, you know, the example that I that I like to, to think about when I see how much I resist it is I'm getting to that age when I get out of the shower and see myself in the mirror and I think, what? You know, <laughs> who is that? <laughs> and, and in my mind, I think I'm still, what, 23 or something? But the, the mirror does not lie. It shows me exactly that I am not that age. Uh, I don't think I'm that different from everybody else. Um, I do appreciate that I have bad eyes, though. That does help me with that mirror problem. <laughs> I could just neglect to put on my glasses before <laughs> get out of the shower. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So... I think there's a, 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 this factor, another thing re, why we resist this truth. There's a little bit of that fear of missing out that, that goes along. You know, in, in the social media, people say FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. And we get this idea that, uh, okay, well, maybe I'm not changing that much, but I look around at everything around me and I think, oh, this is changing too fast. I don't want that. Or conversely, we think that the world isn't changing and, and I am. And somehow I'm separate from everything that's changing or I'm changing separate from everything that's staying the same. You know, we're somehow we're missing out on, on changing together. But really, if we can start, can start to see that we are actually changing with everything at the same moment, it starts to give us a hint towards how happiness and impermanence are interrelated. Imagine if you are in a river, for instance, the river's flowing quite quickly, and you want to resist that. So you hold on to the riverbank as tight as you can. All the waves and the eddies and the driftwood that's coming down it's going to batter you. And you're going to, have to spend a lot of energy to hold on. You're, you're afraid you're going to get pulled along into change with everything else. But if you can let go and flow with the river, it's a really different experience. You can change along with the flowing river of change. You don't have to try and hold on because you're afraid you're, you're, you need to hold on in fear of missing out, maybe. Um, I had a friend just tell me uh, just today. So he had a difficult relationship with his parents and with the little town he grew up in. 
and hadn't been back in decades and realized that after some time, it just felt wrong. So he he called his parents and said, I, I want to come back and, and visit and uh, come back to my, my hometown. And he went to the home his hometown and his father drove him around and he wanted to see these places, you know, the school and the streets where friends lived and all these things. And the father would drive him down to these all these streets and he and he'd say, Well, wait, I don't that's not this isn't it. This doesn't look the same. You know, every everything had changed. And he thought that he'd changed, but it had all stayed the same. But no, they had both changed together. And the difficult experience that he continued to live because he thought that the people and the town were the same as when he was a kid and that he had to resist it. No, they had all changed. That was all gone. Didn't have to resist it anymore. And I had a really similar experience just recently too. I was invited to go to a Sangha function in Issaquah and I had some extra time and for me, my great-grandparents' farm at the south end of Lake Sammamish was my happy place. So they came from Sweden at the about 1900, and they established this 40-acre farm right at the south end of Lake Sammamish. And that's back when it was a really uh, remote place from Seattle. They had they took a a wagon to Newport, and then a ferry from Newport to Leshai, and then a streetcar from Leshai into the market where they would sell their produce. And it took sometimes more than a day to get to get there. They'd sometimes not get home. They'd have to stay at a, a, a neighboring farm on the way back. They'd see cougars on the road. You know, it was back when Cougar Mountain had cougars. And so by the time I came on the scene 60-ish years later, uh, some of the farm had was had been sold, but a big chunk of it was still there. And I got to grow up just down the road, so I got to spend a lot of time there. And we had 1,200 feet on the water of this beautiful lake, and there weren't very many people there. And we had a barn where we'd have barn dances, and, and neighbors would come, and the family would gather. I had a special grove of cedar trees near the barn where I would go and I would sit on a low slung branch that I could just I could lay down on and it was where I really learned how to contemplate as a kid and my grandmother had a little cabin there and and she'd send me out with a bucket uh, to pick raspberries and and so I'd go out there and you know, come back with two inches in the bottom of the bucket and the raspberries all over my face, you know, my <laughs> hands all red and, and you know, did, did you eat? Mm-hmm, I didn't eat any. <laughs> so I had this, this amazingly warm childhood in this place. I, I, I felt I belonged. It was just heavenly for me to be there. Uh, and so I decided I'd go see what it looks like because when my grandmother died 15 or so years ago, um, we sold the last bit of it. And when I when I drove down the little lane, it's just not there anymore. The, the farm is just not there. There's mansions that line the lake where the farm was. There's asphalt around the cabin. There's houses all around. That place of ease and spaciousness 
and privacy and silence that I knew as a kid, it's just not there. So I could, I found I was sort of sometimes pining for that place, thinking that, oh, if I could just get back there. Well, there isn't there. We changed together. We flowed in the river together. And now we're both different. An important lesson for me to see. Another lesson for me to see out of that was it is still alive in some way because I've had in my mind that is the perfect place for me. So when my wife and I were looking for a place to live out of the city and we came to Guimas, we saw it. It's like the lake. And that's, I think, why I'm here. So in a way, it's, it is continuing, but it's just here instead of there. Uh, nice to see that. <clears throat> so there's two important truths about the relationship of impermanence and happiness. So because our suffering is impermanent, it can be changed. We can transform it. That's a really important fact. If our suffering wasn't impermanent, there'd be no hope for transforming it. This practice that we do would be useless. We would be locked in a groundhog's day of living the same suffering again and again and again. So impermanence gives us the ability to liberate ourselves. We're not just stuck. The other side of that coin is that our happiness is also impermanent. And so we're invited to water the seeds of happiness with diligence because the happiness that we have does not last. It's not permanent. So we can't say, ah, I'm happy and I've got it. I've put my hand around it and I'm going to hold on to it and keep it and it'll be mine forevermore. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because suffering and happiness inter are. If one is impermanent, they both are impermanent. You can't have impermanent suffering and permanent happiness. It's impossible. So that's a really important thing for us to remember. And last uh, two weeks ago, I, I talked about uh, what Thich Nhat Hanh says is the point of spiritual practice, which is to generate happiness and transform suffering. So this is all based on the fact that both of them are impermanent. Because they're impermanent, we can transform suffering. Because happiness is impermanent, we can generate happiness. So what are the concrete steps we take to generate happiness? Well, the first thing we have to do is stop. It sounds trivial, but it really is the first act of our practice. And it's one we have to do again and again and again and again. And we have to find ways to do it that are authentic and work in our own daily lives. The reason we stop is that without stopping, we will follow our habit energies. 
And our habit energies are not usually about generating happiness. They're about rushing. They're about acquiring, grasping. They're about pushing away what we think we don't want, trying to get more of what we do want. If we don't stop, we'll just do that over and over and over again. In a way, we're, by doing that, we're denying that truth about impermanence as the as key to transforming our suffering. We're just living the same suffering again and again and again and again and again. So we have to find a way to stop if we're going to change those habit energies. <clears throat> we don't want to just be zombies doing the same thing again and again. It doesn't help at all. And we stop because what we find in our habits is very often we believe that our happiness is going to be in the future somewhere. If only this person will do that. If only I get this job. If only she stops being so mean to me. If only, if only, if only. Always in the future. Or we could think, you know, into the past too. Oh, if only he hadn't treated me that way. But the truth of it is, happiness only happens right now. Happiness only happens in the present moment. And so we have to stop in order to see the present moment and allow ourselves to see happiness. If we can't stop now and see our happiness, we won't recognize it in the future when it comes. Because we'll be in the future again when we get there. We have to create the habit of happiness. And happiness ultimately is a habit. Let's just stop right now. Let's stop. Let's make room for happiness in this moment. Uh, uh, invite us all to come back to our breath for a moment. Breathing in and out. In this moment, on this late spring evening, sitting here next to the Salish Sea, we have the gift of clean, fresh air. So much of the world does not have the gift of clean, fresh air. We can take it in and feel the happiness of being able to breathe as deeply as we want. When I was in China recently, sometimes we couldn't even see a full block down the street. The air was so polluted. We can't help but smile when we feel the fr clean, fresh air being drawn into our lungs. 
our healthy lungs, the lungs that are impermanent, that will not last. Happiness is here and now. The conditions are sufficient for our happiness in every moment. How lovely, lovely to be happy in the present moment. You know, stopping is a subversive act. Our, our culture does not want us to stop. It wants us to keep going. It wants us to chase after something else, to be somewhere else, to be someone else. Go, go, go. We ask each other when we greet each other, how are you? And what do we say about 90% of the time? Oh, I'm so busy. Right? That's like a cultural... Um, a cultural marker that says, I'm worth something. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. It's a subversive act to stop. We subvert that conditioning by stopping. You know, and nobody has to know we're stopping. We can stop in the present moment doing exactly what we normally are doing, but we can still stop. We can stop right now while we're sitting. While we're engaged in this, in this Dharma talk, we can stop. When you notice your mind's distracted, you can stop and come back to this moment. When you notice that you're, that you're thinking about that achy knee, you can stop and come back to things just as they are without needing it to be something else. When I drove to Seattle uh, yesterday and drove home today, I practiced the subversive act of stopping my competitive driving. I'm on I-5 in Seattle, right? And it's, we all want to rush. We all, the last thing we want to do is to get held up by a, a, a diesel truck that's in the wrong lane, you know, all those kinds of things. But I know, I, I kept telling myself, happiness is here and now. And I can be happy now. And so I get in the right lane and I subvert the process. I'm going to be happy whether I get there at that moment or five minutes later. I'm going to be happy the whole way. I'm going to subvert this. Yeah. It doesn't matter what we're doing, we can stop. This does not mean we have inaction. So when we stop, our next step is then to look deeply. To look deeply at what's happening. So very often we confuse our happiness and our suffering. We think that what is happiness is actually suffering. So in, in Christianity, they have a great way of, of, of dealing with this. They have the seven deadly sins. 
we don't have anything like that in Buddhism, but it's it's great. Anybody remember what they are? Anybody that that grew up in a in a Christian background? Anybody can anybody name them? Yeah, that's one. Yeah, Sloth. yeah. Sloth. Sloth? Uh huh. Uh huh. What's that? Steal? Stealing. Yeah. Uh, that's not the word I have. I've wrote, written down. Mm. Greed. Avarice. That might be it. So here's one. I've, here's what I've written down. For, okay, so it's lust is the first one, right? Yeah. Gluttony, greed, which I think stealing is is the one you, you mentioned. Laziness, wrath, envy, and pride. Right? So there's something common to all those. Yeah, they all, they all seem like happiness. Right? So, for instance, let's take uh, gluttony. I got a great lesson on gluttony when I, when I went to dinner with my parents on Mother's Day, and we went to the, to the, the, the um, gourmet restaurant, and I got to eat this fantastic-tasting food that was prepared in a way that I didn't sleep well that night. You know, it was so heavy with, with creams, and, and, and I ate so much of it. Uh, and I confused gluttony as happiness, but I could tell later that night it was actually suffering. So all these, all these seven deadly sins are really confusing suffering for happiness. So you don't have to, you don't have to use this language, uh, but I invite you when you stop to begin to look deeply into what it is that you're actually doing and seeing, is this happiness or is this suffering? And find, find out how to tell for yourself. Because oftentimes what seems like happiness on the surface really is our, our suffering. You, and, and then you get to choose, once you, once you know what your suffering is and what your happiness is, you get to choose to water the seeds of happiness instead of watering the seeds of suffering. Um, happiness is here and now, but happiness also is in the future because in the here and now, we water specific seeds. And the seeds we water now will bear fruit in the future. So if we're watering seeds we know to be happiness, happiness will uh, offer itself in the future. If we water seeds we know are suffering, suffering will offer itself in the future. You know that, that line from the, from the um, Five Remembrances, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground on which I stand. This is a way that that um, if we don't look deeply, we can continue to create suffering for ourselves in the future with our present moment actions. I I had a, a bit of a breakthrough uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, where I decided that what I really have to offer to the world is my presence. And I don't want to water any seeds that take me away from being aware of the present moment again. I don't want to do that. And I really, I I made a, a kind of a resolution with myself that I would not indulge myself in watering seeds 
that take me away from being aware of the present moment anymore. And that, that was really, felt really um, liberating to me. And it's giving me a new touchstone by which I can come back to the present moment and stop and look deeply at what's going on and choose which seeds I'm going to water because I can recognize which ones are causing me suffering and which ones are um, generating happiness. I'm, I'm happy to be, to be working on that with diligence. Happiness is here and now. And it's here because of causes in the past. We have the ability to bring happiness in the here and now as the here and now unfolds for us going forward. And this is all due to impermanence. All due to impermanence. If it wasn't for impermanence, we couldn't water those seeds. We couldn't escape our suffering. We couldn't generate happiness. So that's a quick tour in how I'm how I'm practicing these days with impermanence and happiness. So thank you all for giving me your kind and loving attention.